Welcome to the Patrick Henry Podcast. This is John Halsman holding the elites of the world to account. And we're back to the COVID story, but bits and pieces of a couple stories we've been following. And one of the things you learn in political risk is that you follow, you track stories, as we call it, and you look at the trajectory of the predictions you've made, and you see if those predictions hold up to empirical reality as more facts come out in the 24-7 news cycle. And I'm proud to say that we have two factual kind of verifications of what we've been telling you, and then a supposition to make based on them, uh, these new facts that furthers the analysis along. Um, the first two stories are disparate, but they're part of our general point that there's been misinformation, to put it mildly, at the elite level about COVID all the way along. Um, there's some new numbers out about who gets COVID. And these numbers are overwhelming. So the next time somebody tells you children are in great peril or the children are not sacrificing their childhoods for the elderly, uh, please do note these numbers. Because again, one of the things that COVID has shown us is that people are numerically illiterate. They do not understand risk. They do not understand calculations based on risk. And frankly, they don't understand what math means. So we are perhaps illiterate in terms of our reading comprehension, but we certainly are in terms of numbers because these numbers are overwhelming. So the next time somebody tells you we're all in this together, we all are equally likely to get COVID, run these numbers. The size and the risk of getting the COVID infection is indeed equal across all age groups. Well, wait, doesn't that just contradict what I said? Not at all. Let's dig one step deeper. So the risk of getting the COVID infection is equal across all age groups, but that's not what anybody cares about. What we care about is do you go to the hospital and overwhelm our healthcare systems and do you die? These are the two, this is, this is the clear number that matters. And rather than this constant shifting of the goalposts to keep people in a state of permanent hysteria, let's calmly look at what this means. At the beginning of the virus, way back in March of 2020, this was why we had lockdowns in the first place. It was said, we want to spread out the death rate, not do away with it. This is before vaccinations. And we want to not overwhelm our healthcare service. Well, I'm going to hold the elite to what they said. That is a reasonable yardstick. Not who gets COVID, but do people get COVID badly enough that hurts them enough that they have to go to the hospital or die? This strikes me as a bright line. And in all the hysteria out there, a bright line is def desperately needed. So our bright line will be the original bright line of the authorities, which I think was the right one. Does COVID make you so sick you go to the hospital overwhelming our healthcare system? And does COVID kill you? The risk of COVID infection, again, is equal across all age groups. But the risk of hospitalization and death numbers varies tremendously by age. Compared to 18 to 29-year-olds, which will be our base comparison, so the young, 18 to 29-year-olds, the rate of hospitalization is five times that rate of the young in 65 to 74-year-olds, nine times that rate in 75 to 84-year-olds, and 15 times the hospitalization rate in 85-year-olds. Let me say this again because these numbers are important. Compared to 18 to 29-year-olds, which is the base rate of the young we're going to use, the rate of hospitalization for COVID is five times greater in 60 to 65 to 74-year-olds, nine times greater 
in 75 to 84 year olds and fully 15 times greater in 85 and olders. For the death rate, the numbers are even more stark. Compared to 18 to 29 year olds, the death rate is 90 times greater in 65 to 74 year olds, 220 times greater in 75 to 84 year olds, and a whopping 570 times greater in 85 year olds or older. Once again, the death rate is even starker than the hospitalization rate using 18 to 29 year olds as a base rate. The young, the death rate is 90 times greater in 65 to 74 year olds, 220 times greater in 75 to 84 year olds, and fully 570 times greater in 85 year olds and up. 80% of the deaths caused by COVID are in people 65 or older. These numbers seem definitive. COVID is a disease of the elderly. And anything now that transfers funds and attention from the rest of us to the elderly should at least be commented on. Don't buy the smokescreen. We're all in this together. While we all get COVID at the same rate, the hospitalization and death rate, which has got to be the bright line for this, is squarely on the side of the elderly. It is the elderly who, if we need any further quarantines or lockdowns, ought to be locked down. Again, if they go along with it, it should be strongly advised that they're locked down. As anybody who knows me, and in the name of this podcast, I am for individual liberty. But if anybody needs to be locked down, if anybody has a statistical risk, it is overwhelmingly the elderly, particularly for deaths, but also to a great extent for hospitalizations. Not the rest of us. Um, in terms of children, as this is now the new hysteria, the new numbers say that between 0.00% and 0.03% of childhood COVID cases result in death. So the rate of death for children getting COVID is between zero and three one hundredths of a percent, meaning nobody. Yes, individual death is always a tragedy, but if you're governing a country like America of 320 million people, these numbers are utterly negligible. Flu, heart disease, accidents, and gunshots all kill greater numbers of children. Let me repeat that. Flu, heart disease, accidents, and gunshots all kill greater numbers of children than does COVID. The number of kids who died in car crashes last year is six times the number of those who die from COVID. So the car crash rate is six times the death rate for children of COVID. And yet every day, millions of us will brave the risk of putting our children into a car, which is a relatively dangerous thing to do. But we all do it because we look at the risk reward and we think we'll be fine. That is what's been missing from the hysteria. Again, my favorite moment 20 years from now will be the AP history question, which is why this pandemic unlike the Hong Kong flu of the late 1960s or the Chinese or Asian flu of the 1950s, resulted in utter hysteria. And my basic argument for this would be because we simply have forgotten how to measure risk, how to deal with risk, that we want to live in a utopian risk-free world, and that we are unable to read statistics, which make it clear this is a disease of the elderly, overwhelmingly, in terms of what actually matters. Not getting COVID, but having COVID so affect you that you go to the hospital or you die. So the next time people give you a smoke stream, please think of these numbers, which to me are definitive and overwhelming. And I hate the obfuscation.
that the rest of us have to continue to suffer unduly with the rates of suicide off the chart, the rates of domestic abuse off the chart, the rates of spousal abuse off the chart, the rates of mental health crashing, the educational attainment of our children, an obvious joke that all of this can't be discussed because we can't talk about COVID rationally as a disease of the elderly who ought to be locked down while the rest of us get on with the business of paying for them and the business of living. Anybody who doesn't see this simply cannot read numbers. And I'm tired of being polite about it. The second story, which affirms our assessment, um, is the really great work of Matt Ridley in The Spectator. And I strongly urge you to read, read his article about the origins of the virus. And there's been yet more information that this probably resulted from a lab accident in Wuhan. And Ridley goes about this in a very scientific, unpolitical way, which is where we should start. We should first listen to the scientists and then hand it over to the political risk folks like me. And central to the mystery of COVID's origin, Ridley writes in The Spectator, is how a virus normally found in horseshoe bats located in the south of China and Southeast Asia turned up a thousand miles north in Wuhan. We all agree that Wuhan is where this started, and we all agree that horseshoe bats come from the south of China and Southeast Asia. How did they get there? If we could simply figure this out, we'd go a long way toward understanding the origins of the virus. The co and, and let's start with the obvious point. Again, John Stewart made this very well. If anybody who doesn't notice that there are 100,000 wet markets or more in China, but the one thing Wuhan has beyond a wet market that every city in China has is the Wuhan Institute of Virology, one of the three or four most advanced scientific centers for the study of bat-borne COVID relations. Which is more likely to cause this, one of several hundred thousand wet markets or a place that has only replicated three other places in the world that is the intensive study of bat-borne COVIDs around the world? Which is more likely? In both Yunnan and Laos, where the horseshoe bats come from, and again, we can't go to Yunnan anymore because the Chinese government won't let us. Hmm, I wonder why they won't let us investigate further, because we would simply find out what's going on. This is a government that is absolutely hysterical about global approval. If the Chinese government were innocent, don't you think they'd have 60 minutes going through the door of the Wuhan Institute of Virology coming up with a story that yet again those mean Westerners have, have perjured themselves and, and defamed the Chinese unfairly, that we want to make a negative story to stop their incredible growth rate, to, to put them down in the eyes of the world? Don't you think, which is their reflexive reaction to everything we say that's critical, don't you think that's what we would be saying if indeed they were innocent. But of course, they're not saying that. They're saying crickets, nothing. And why are they saying nothing? Because they're guilty. This is so incredibly obvious. Yes, it's circumstantial, but that doesn't mean I leave my super secret power of logic at the door. Instead, I look at it. And I look at the basic fact Ridley points out. What is going on? That horseshoe bats, who should be a thousand miles to the south in southern China, and Southeast Asia, particularly Laos, why, how do they get to Wuhan? Who brought them there? And Ridley, who can no longer investigate in China because they won't let us, because they're obviously guilty, instead spent some time in Laos and came up with the notion that in Yunnan and Laos, the only people 
who knowingly transported bat virus samples to Wuhan. The only people who did this were scientists. Of course they were. They got the bats from this area, they transported them to the north, and then there was a lab leak because of sloppy lab work, which was documented as far back as 2018 by the U.S. State Department. And indeed, concerned scientists at the center were telling the State Department in an unclassified document, we think things are sloppy here, and it worries us that there may be a problem. Anybody who can't put this one together after all the information is shilling for the Chinese, is not looking at facts objectively, is not looking at what went on here. How did the bats travel a thousand miles to the north? What is the most likely reason they traveled there? Scientists knowingly took them there to do research on them. And guess what? These bats carried COVID. And then when you add in the final piece of the puzzle, Mr. Peter Daszak, our favorite useful idiot. And this piece of the puzzle is not yet affirmed, and I want to make that very clear, but the hypothesis seems clear. Daszak went to the Pentagon to do yet more grants over gain of function, and this is now out thanks to the wonderful tool, the wonderful Jeffersonian Patrick Henry tool of the Freedom of Information Act. We've now seen that he applied for a grant with the Pentagon to do gain-of-function research. The Pentagon, to its credit, said, no, you can't. It's too dangerous. Now, let's think about where Daszak gets money from and funding from and what the Wuhan lab is about. Who funded the work at the Wuhan lab? Stupidly, Dr. Fauci in the United States government, but also the Chinese government in Wuhan. Yes, we were joint funding a research center with our greatest enemy. You don't think there should be congressional hearings about that? Have we lost all ability to be shocked? I'm shocked nobody's shocked by this. This is so obviously stupid and wrong and a terrible political risk call that for that alone, Fauci should be fired beyond his being wrong about everything and, as my grandmother would put it, lying to Congress. All of this should disqualify him, but not least that we were joint funding a research center with our greatest enemy. Nobody thinks that that's a bad idea. So Daszak doesn't get his money from the Pentagon. We know that. The Pentagon does due diligence, bless their hearts, and we don't fund gain-of-function research. Now, if you're Peter Daszak and you've spent your life thinking about gain-of-function and you really, really want to do these experiments and you have the usual arrogant God complex that all medical researchers seem to have and all virologists seem to have, what do you do? Do you say, oh, gosh, I don't get to do my funding. I'm going to go sulk and work on less exciting projects. Or do you say, where else can I get my funding to do gain-of-function research? Huh. Who would do this who has lower safety standards than the U.S. and perhaps fewer ethical scruples than the United States? Who might that be? China. Of course. He didn't quit. He went to the Chinese and he asked for money for a grant to do exactly what he wanted to do with the United States government. I cannot prove this at the moment. I want to make that crystal clear. But that does that logically follow as an inference from everything we've seen up to now? Of course it does. He didn't go home. He thought he knew better. The God complex kicked in. A man who indirectly infected the world. And what did he do? 
he went to the Chinese and asked for money to do exactly the same grant project. Now you have all the pieces of the puzzle there. An explanation as a hypothesis as to how the bats made the journey a thousand miles from southern China and Yunnan and Southeast Asia and Laos up to Wuhan, how this was paid for, what went wrong, where it went wrong, why it went wrong. You have a rounded answer to the question of our age, and it explains why Daszak has been everywhere trying to cover this up. His own neck is on the line. Obviously, the Chinese government, which would not be adverse to getting rid of him, said, you've put us in a terrible position, and you are going to lead the cover-up of the mess you caused. Again, unproven, but this fits perfectly with the facts. I think this is an extraordinarily extraordinary revelation. Do indeed read Matt Ridley's piece in The Spectator and add it to everything we've said in our COVID timeline. Also think about the numbers that I put forward. It isn't getting less clear. Do not let people obfuscate you away from the super secret power of logic, which explains what's going on here. We need logic more than ever because we live in a world where people don't seem to understand how it works. Do not let the Chinese government get away with this. And let's end with that thought for Patrick Henry. For all the stupidities that, that plague European governments, Italy, France, Germany, if there were a lab leak in these countries, they would immediately confess it, fess up. They would immediately try to stop its spread, as would the United, bumbling old United States or Canada or Mexico or any of our allies. Japan um, would certainly do this. Australia, India, this would come out. Only China would do something different and say, if we're going to get sick, the rest of the world can take the hit too. That is Xi Jinping's wickedness. That is why China is a revolutionary power that simply must not be worked with in the same way that we work with our friends. There is a qualitative difference here because what they did, if I'm right, is nothing less than evil, and we should call it that. Thank you so much for listening to today's Patrick Henry podcast, COVID Again. When we look at the new data that affirms two of the points and tracks the stories and analysis we have laid out for you, I must say ahead of the game in March 2020, I was already suspicious of the Chinese. This is something, a badge that I wear with honor. Political risk analysts should be held to their analysis, our call record. And on this point, I'm proud as can be of my firm and the work we've done, and I hope we continue to give it to you. For those of you who haven't subscribed, please do so. So many of you have. It's been fantastic. This overwhelming response to the work we're doing gratifies me as I want to spend more and more time talking directly to our community, leaving out the middlemen, and giving you what I see as the unvarnished analysis of what's going on. But to do that, we do need those of you who have subscribed to contribute. Uh, we're asking the usual Starbucks fee of $70 a year or $7 a month. For $70 a year or $7 a month, which I've been told now is half of a Starbucks. Obviously, I don't get out enough. That's half of a Starbucks. We can continue to do this, and we will power on with these subscriptions to form our community and give you this cutting-edge analysis. If you think we're worth half a Starbucks a month, please do give $70 a year or merely 7 a month. Thank you ever so much. And for those of you who are Americans out there, enjoy my favorite holiday. Have the happiest of Thanksgivings. There is so much to be grateful for. And not least for me is the work we're doing together. Thanks ever so much.